Today, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Proverbs. We're in a series called Skill for Life, and we've been looking into wisdom from the book of Proverbs every week. And what we've learned so far is that wisdom is very important. It's absolutely necessary because most situations in life, or many of the decisions we make in life, don't have an easy answer. There's no right or wrong. It's not black and white. It's that there's a lot of gray. And because of that, you need wisdom. There's a lot of situations where doctrine doesn't really help out much, and that's when you need discernment, wisdom. What do I do in this situation? There are so many situations, even day-to-day decisions, where we're not sure what to do. And no matter where we turn, it's not necessarily wrong or right. But there is a wise path to take. And so last week, if you'll remember, we looked at one of the keys to wisdom, to getting and keeping wisdom, and that is to guard your heart. We need to learn how to prioritize our lives, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. We have to pay attention to and protect our inner life, what we think about, what we say, all of those types of things. And that is one of the keys to wisdom in life, to, to living life with Skill And so beginning today, we're going to start looking specifically at the issues of the heart. Those issues that flow from the heart, like words, how you talk, money, uh, parenting, anger, friendship. All of those things are issues from the heart. And today we're going to start by talking about one major issue that relates to the heart, and that issue is sex. I just saw some heads perk up when I said that. So I I just want to say this before we start, that um, we're going to talk about sex today, and I'm not really going to hold back much because I'm going to be teaching from the Bible, which doesn't hold back much on the subject of sex. And so if you you didn't get the memo this last week, which we sent out via email, um, that we're going to be talking about sex today, and you have a, a child who you're not comfortable hearing about this subject, then now would be the time to take them to Cross Point Kids, which is just down the hall. It'll just take you a couple minutes to walk them down. If they're in fifth or sixth grade, go ahead and take them down there and um, check them in, and then you can come back and you'll see them in about 35 minutes, okay? So I just wanted to give you, I didn't want you to feel blindsided. I just wanted to warn you that this is what we're going to, this is the subject matter for the day, and uh, that's what it is. So, um, you know, the the issue of, the issue of sex is, um, a really, really important one, and the biblical authors seem to know how much we think about it and how big of an issue it it can be for us. And so they talk about it quite a lot. And they talk about, they want us to be informed on the nature of sex and how to enjoy it is really what it comes down to. And if we're not right about the nature of sex, what it's for, and how to enjoy it, What we're told over and over again by God in his word is that sex has the power to destroy our relationships and potentially our lives if we don't know what it's for and how to enjoy it. We need to know what God says about sex and how to fear God and have great sex. That's really what the point is. And... So sex and wisdom really do go together. They have a lot to do with each other because there is such a a thing as sexual wisdom and sexual foolishness. 
The truth is that wise people and foolish people treat sex very differently. So, one of the questions that we probably should ask right away is because the title of today's sermon is Skill for Life, Sex. Is sex a skill? The truth is that it is. It might not be in the way that you're thinking, but there is such a thing as sexual wisdom or sexual skill. So here's, here's what that means. There are two women that are talked about in Proverbs over and over and over again. We have wi- woman wisdom and woman folly. So, for example, in Proverbs 1.20, we read, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. In Proverbs 9.13, we read about woman folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. So both of these women invite people to have great sex, but only one of them delivers on their promise. Only one of them does. And in Proverbs chapter 5, which is where we're going to be spending our our whole time today, we're going to consider both of these women, woman wisdom and woman folly, and what they say. Okay, and how to how to take a wise view of sex. So if you turn to Proverbs chapter 5, again we have a father talking to his son. This is an intimate relationship where this conversation is happening. This is a father who loves his son. And again, wisdom is best passed on in close intimate relationships. And, and And one more thing I should probably point out about this chapter and the entire book of Proverbs is that this is a, the book of Proverbs was used as a tool to teach and train young men. And so the focus when it comes to sex and the warnings are always focused on promiscuous women, which doesn't mean that they're ignoring the fact that there are tons of promiscuous men out there or that men are often um, the sexual predators of our day. It's just that their audience is young men. And so they, they tend to focus. They're not being chauvinistic, okay? They're just, they're just saying, watch out for a certain kind of woman, which is what you're going to hear today, just, just to set that in context for you. So Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1, here's what we read. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, in other words, please pay attention to this. That's what he's saying. Listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take the fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation.
Now there are 65, between Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7, just those three chapters of the Bible, there are 65 different verses warning against the dangers of adultery. 65. We just looked at a bunch of them, okay? Now adultery, as most of you know, amounts to a relationship between a man and a woman or, a, or anyone who is not, the, not your spouse that is of sexual nature. That's what adultery is. However, adultery is not limited to that. We know this. We know that adultery is way more than just a sexual relationship between two people who are not married. Sexual sin is what we're going to call this today. Okay, adultery is the adultery back in ancient times was one of the only ways you could sin sexually. They didn't have all the options that we have in front of us today. They didn't have pornography available to them so easily or, or at all. Really, they didn't have um, they didn't have graphic novels. Okay, they didn't have um, a lot of the ways that we have a lot of the options that we have to pursue sexual temptation and fulfillment outside the covenant of marriage. So today we're just going to call it what it is, sexual sin. And if you remember, Jesus in his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, says that adultery is a matter of the heart. It's not just about a relationship with somebody else or even a physical relationship. He said if you look at someone who you're not married to and you lust after them or you desire them in a sexual way, You've already committed adultery in your heart. You're already on the wrong path. You're already trapped. When you look at pornography, you're already trapped. Your heart is already in big trouble when you do that, when you do things like that. And the author tells us that it's, this is so bad that you're actually giving yourself away. You're giving your life away. You're giving your honor away. You're giving your vitality away. You're giving your strength away. You're wasting your life when you engage in sexual sin or entertain sexual temptation. You're wasting your life. You're, and before you know it, you'll look back and say, I've wasted my years. I've given my best years away. I've lost them and I'll never get them back. It leads to, to regret and hopefully remorse. And the authors are trying to, to save us from that. They're trying to save us from that. We, and here's the, the thing about sexual sin, is it has everything to do with our hearts. It, this isn't just about what you do with your hands or your body or your mind. This is a heart issue. So for example, in Proverbs 6.25, the writer says, Do not let your heart be captivated by her beauty. So, so our hearts are wired in such a way that we long for beauty. And, and many times we see beauty in someone who is not our spouse, and we long for that, we desire that, we envy that, and that's when we're in trouble. And this is a heart issue. That's where all of this comes from. It all flows from the heart. Just like we said last week. It's a heart issue, and we see something beautiful, and sometimes we just go after it. And we know what the right path is to take. We know what the consequence could be, and the danger is that sometimes we can engage in sexual sin for long periods of time with no consequence and we think we're okay, but on the inside we're dying. That's what's happening. And we're on a very dangerous path. It's not just an event, it's a path that we're on. And our heart is, what's, is, our heart 
is what's dying. Our heart is what's under attack. Our heart is what's growing hard. And the point is that no matter what you think about how beautiful that person is or, that, or how good that, that thing might feel, it's always going to end in disaster. It will always end in disaster. There's no possible good outcome. Sexual sin always looks good at first. It always tastes good, like honey, he says. But when it's, when it's over, there's this horrible, bitter aftertaste. When you're in the moment, it feels soothing. It feels so good, like oil running down your body. But afterwards, it feels like someone's running a double-edged sword down your body. That's what he says. Looks are deceiving. Looks are deceiving. It never is going to end well. It's never worth it. You know why? Because it costs your life. It costs you your life. That's the point. So there are two paths that we could take when it comes to sex. One leads to disaster, and one leads to life and pleasure. There's, an, there's another path. There's this, there's this alternative that we're given in this chapter that leads to life. So, so when it comes to sex, we make foolish and destructive choices simply because we want to. Whether we know the right thing to do or not, sometimes people just, they want, a, they would rather have a moment of pleasure than a vital relationship with God. That's, that's what it comes down to. They would rather have a moment of thrilling pleasure than a lifetime of peace. That's the choice that they are making. And this alternative path, you can experience, we are promised, immense sexual pleasure with a completely clear conscience and with the blessing of God. So this other narrow way actually keeps us from wasting our life and protects us. Let's look at what it is. Proverbs five fifteen through 19. Let's read these verses together. The author says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Why, when you have so much pleasure waiting for you in your wife, in your spouse? Okay, that's the other path. Now let's first notice what the father is not saying. What he's not saying is, look, if you want to fight sexual temptation, what you need is, is, is more resolve, more discipline, and more self-control. Now we know that we do need those things. We absolutely need those things to fight sexual temptation. But what I love about this chapter is that what God gives us to fight sexual temptation is amazing sex. That's what he gives us. That's what he tells us to pursue. God is telling us that uninhibited, unbelievable sex with your spouse is one of the best weapons against sexual temptation. Your spouse is your own exclusive, personal, and endless source of sexual satisfaction, and great sex with your spouse is a powerful weapon against sexual sin. That's what God is saying. 
Now, let's look at these few verses together for just a little bit, okay? And I love the Bible because the Bible just calls it like it is. Sometimes you don't catch it right away, but let's just consider what we just read. This word for cistern, when the writer says, um, drink water from your own cistern, the cistern describes the wife's sexuality. A cistern was a pear-shaped hollow cave of sorts dug into the ground for storing rainwater. It's not that different from a well. The father's telling his son to drink from the well, to satisfy your sexual thirst by going into the well often. That's what he's saying. Husbands, go into the well of your wife. That's what God wants you to do. Go there often and enjoy it. Drink from it. Be refreshed by it. That represents the wife's sexuality. The spring or fountain represents male sexuality. A spring, a spring spurts out. A fountain bursts forth. That's what represents the male sexuality. There's not that much left to the imagination here, guys, okay? These things represent body parts, and I'm not going to spell them out for you. That's what the author's talking about when he's describing sex to us and the kind of sex we should enjoy in marriage. And if that weren't erotic enough for you, the father says in verse 19, may her breasts satisfy you always and may you always be intoxicated or captivated or infatuated in your wife's love, in your spouse's love. In other words, what he's saying is that we should be completely beside ourselves by the lovemaking that we share with our spouse. They're talking about lovemaking here. They're talking about sex. I don't know why the, New Test- or the Old Testament translators didn't just translate it lovemaking. I don't know. Maybe they lost a little bit of the poetic nature of this passage if they did that, but that's what it means. That's what it means. May the sex that you share with your wife or your husband thrill you. May it leave you breathless. May it leave you drunk with love and passion. This is how someone who is married and loves God is to fight sexual temptation, is to have awesome sex with their spouse. And if you're not married, that's okay. You just have to employ other weapons in your arsenal. That's for another sermon. Sorry to, I don't mean to leave anybody out here. I'm just sticking with the text this morning. Now there are, here's the thing. The reason that people fall into sexual sin is mainly because of the way that they view sex. That's what it really starts with. And the truth is that there are many views today that people have towards sex that are quite destructive. And we're going to talk about a few of them. The first one is this. Sex is an appetite. When I get hungry, I eat. If I get thirsty, I drink. If I get aroused, I have sex. That's a sex is appetite view. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. Sex is just physical, in other words. It's not a spiritual act. There's no, it's totally natural. Just go for it. There's nothing wrong with having sex when you feel like having sex. It's just an appetite, like everything else. In Proverbs 30, 20, we read, This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. That's a person with the sex's appetite view. They have sex when they feel like it and they feel like they've done nothing wrong because all they've done is satisfy an appetite. And there are plenty of people 
in the world today, and probably in the church, who hold this view. It's just an appetite. It's really no big deal. Right? Number two, we have the sex is dirty and dangerous view. You shouldn't talk about it. You should only do it to build a family. You should avoid it if, if you can. It's not appropriate to talk about sex in your church or your small group or even in your family. You should only have sex in one position because God didn't mean for you to experiment and try new things and new techniques and for your body to go in those directions. That all came from the pagans. Don't have too much fun either. Just get it over with. Sex should not be had for pure enjoyment or pleasure. It must serve a purpose. Just so you know, that doesn't even make sense. Do you know why it doesn't make sense? Because pleasure is the purpose. Pleasure is the point of sex. That's the point. That's what God intended for it to be. Did you notice that in your relationship with your spouse, that when you enjoy them and you experience euphoric pleasure with your spouse, your bond with them grows. Sex is a way that God strengthens your relationship with your wife. Did you know that pleasure is a way that God strengthens your relationship with him? We're supposed to enjoy God. We're supposed to enjoy our relationship with God in such a way that we want to worship him and be with him all the time. That's what sex is a picture of. So that, this view that sex is dirty and dangerous is ridiculous. And it's not biblical. And it's definitely not what's on this author's mind. Then we have the sex is what makes your marriage either good or bad view. It's the key to a great marriage, some people feel like, which isn't true. If this, this, these people be, believe that if sex is good and frequent, the marriage will be healthy. Marriage serves sex, in other words, in this view. And so, rather than the other way around, so if so, sex becomes the priority, and if the sex isn't good, then why stay in the marriage? Or, if you hold to this view, you might talk like this to yourself. My spouse is not pleasing me. They're just not interested. They're denying me what's rightfully mine. So what am I supposed to do? I have to get satisfied somewhere. They're not satisfying me, so it's really their fault it, when I sin sexually. God will understand, right? This view actually overvalues sex, doesn't it? Then we have the sex is, um, sex is everything view. I need sex to survive. That's what this view says. I must have it. It's the best thing in the world. There's a lot of people with this view too. These are people who are obsessed with sex, they think about it way too much. They pervert themselves and others. They treat women or men, and, or women and men, as objects. They pleasure themselves at the cost of other people and, the, and at the cost of their own life. Men are especially uh, prone to this view. They are captivated by beauty and they just go after it. There's no restraint, no control, and in the end their lives are ruined. Oftentimes, this takes the form of adultery, an adulterous relationship, but more often than not, it takes the form of habitual pornography. Now, pornography is really just a way for people to commit adultery without complicating their life. That's what pornography is. It's much easier to hide. It's much more convenient to engage in. But it's adultery. That's what a pornography is. Men who look at pornography and women are on a path to adultery, and God tells us that they're committing adultery in their heart. Their heart is all 
ready in huge trouble. Huge trouble. Now, let's get to the biblical view of sex. This is the view of sex that's proposed in the Bible. The sex is self-giving view. Okay, this is what it says. Sex is the powerful and beautiful practice of self-giving in marriage which displays the glory of God. It is the climax of communication between husband and wife. Sex is for marriage alone and it involves the total giving of your whole self for the most pleasure possible. That's the biblical view of sex. The most pleasure possible in sex is between a husband and a wife who are drunk in love with each other. That's what we're told. This is the biblical view. This is not a conservative view of sex. Okay? This is the highest view of sex that there is. This is, this is a go-for-it attitude towards sex. This is saying your spouse should be the most intimate and best friend that you have, and that should be expressed in regular, passionate, uninhibited sex. That's the biblical view. This means that we should look for ways to attract our spouse and entice our spouse and arouse our spouse. We should look for ways to satisfy and pleasure our spouse. We should be busy romancing and pursuing each other in the marriage covenant. In other words, act like you are crazy in love with each other. Go for it often. Don't hold back. Enjoy each other to the max. That's what God says. You have God's permission to do that. Go for it. And you'll be blessed. That's, that's wisdom's path to sexual pleasure in life. And really, with what this view look, how, how this view looks at sex, one commentator called a radical self-donation. Radical self-donation. It involves the whole person. It's way more than a physical act. When the Bible talks about one flesh... It's not referring strictly to a body-to-body or physical, uh, the physical exchange of fluids or physical contact. That's not what's going on. That's not merely what's going on. There is a spiritual exchange. There is a spiritual union taking place between one person and another. And it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to undo that union once you do it. Because sex was designed exclusively for marriage. That's what it's for. That's why it's more than physical. So there are a lot of people today practicing, they're being physically naked and vulnerable together in in practicing sex without becoming naked and vulnerable in every area of life. In other words, they're not getting married. They're not committing their whole life to each other in marriage. And that's a very wrong use of sex. It's a foolish use of sex. If you got a brand new iPhone and and you were showing it to me and I said, hey, can I borrow that for a second? I need to hammer in this nail. You would look at me like I was an idiot. Like, you don't use an iPhone for that. This is a powerful device. It's not supposed to be used for that. You'll ruin it. And people who are sexually wise look at people who are having sex outside of marriage or engaged in sexual sin as fools because they're ruining their life. They're using sex for the wrong thing. They don't understand what sex is for and how to enjoy it. And in the end, they're ruining their lives. So what's the point? What is, what is the point of this? What, what am I going to say? Don't commit adultery. Don't look at porn. Don't fantasize. If you do any of those things, you're on a dangerous path. Please turn around before it's too late. 
Instead, love your wife. Or get married to the person that you're in love with. What's stopping you? Don't hold back affection and passion and sexual pleasure from them. Give yourself away for them. That's the point. Do it for their good, for their pleasure. That's what sex is about. Those two things are really, really important, right? Don't do this, do this. But as we saw last week, just changing your behavior is not the key. I mean, you could stop going down this path and you could turn around and start going this other way and start behaving a different way and start guarding your heart and that, that will save you a lot of grief in your life and a lot of sorrow and perhaps tragedy. However, your heart is what's at stake. Right? And so the author here goes a little deeper. In Proverbs 5, 21 through 23, here's the last few verses. This is what he says. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So the reason we should stay far away from sexual sin, first of all, is that nothing gets past God. He sees and considers all of our ways. And we're going to be brought into judgment. That's why the book of Proverbs begins with the source of wisdom, the fear of God. We need to fear God because of who He is, because He sees us and He weighs our paths. He measures our actions. So we need to fear God. It's a, it's a repeat of Proverbs 1.7. But it's interesting what he says next. He doesn't say you should, you should remember that God is watching you because if you commit sexual sin, God's going to get you. He's going to exact his vengeance on you. He's going to make you pay. That's not what the author says. Instead, he says, if you know that God is watching you, and yet you continue to commit sexual sin, your sin will get you. Your sin is what will ruin you in the end. Your sin will make you pay. Your sin will hold you. Your sin won't let you go. It will punish you. It will remind you constantly how wicked and dirty you are. You won't be able to sleep. You're going to live with regret and guilt. Your heart will grow hard. You won't see a way out. You won't be able to stop. Your sexual desires and your sins will lead you away from a path of peace, away from God. And before you know it, you'll be at the end of your life and you're going to look back and you're going to be so full of regret that you're going to groan. And you're going to realize you've wasted your life. And there won't be anything you can do about it. You can't get those years back. You're going to die because of your sexual sin. And this isn't necessarily talking about a physical death. When the authors of Proverbs talk about life and death, most of the time they're talking about when someone's uh, facing death or on a path that leads to death, they're talking about a person who is missing out on the greatest riches in life. That's what they're talking about. And, and eventually they'll get to a point where life is impossible. They will die 
apart from God and spend eternity apart from God. But right now, if you are engaged in sexual sin, what the author is saying is you are like a walking dead person. Basically, you're a walking dead person. You're missing out on life. You're like a sexual zombie, as it were. You know how zombies, they feast on people's flesh? Well, sexual zombies, they consume other people's flesh in other ways. Through fantasies, through relationships and appropriate contact, whatever it is. And they're on a path that leads to death. They're just as ugly as zombies spiritually. They're the real walking dead. People who are experiencing sexual pleasure outside the bounds of marriage. That's who they are. That's what they're living like. But you, you don't have to go down that path. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not dead. You are not a walking dead person. You are alive. You are fully alive in Jesus Christ. You have his life. You have the spirit of the living God living in you. And even though you might act like a dead person sometimes, when you give in to sexual temptation, you are not dead. You are alive. You belong to Jesus Christ and your life and your body is meant for to enjoy intense sexual pleasure in the marriage covenant. In a relationship with Jesus Christ. By giving yourself to your spouse. Why would you pursue the path that leads to death when you can be fully alive with your spouse? Why go down that path? So, so here's the point. L- listen, sex, sex is not the biggest problem. Sex is a big problem, but that's not the biggest problem. Our heart is the biggest problem. It's what our heart desires, those, those beauties that our hearts chase after, That's just how God made us. God made us to long for beauty, to admire beautiful things in this world. And if we are not admiring and being captivated, that is being held captive by the most beautiful being in the universe, then we are going to be held captive by some other beauty. And the author today told us that if we're not being captivated by our spouse's beauty, then we will find another person's beauty to be captivated by. Because we long for beauty, the heart does. We can't help it. That's how God made us. And that's our biggest strength, and it's probably our biggest weakness. Because when we encounter God in a relationship, through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God becomes the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. His grace and His mercy that He's shown us when we deserve death, we deserve punishment, and yet through sending His Son to die for us, to do this incredible act of radical self-donation on the cross and give his body for us as our substitute. That's beauty. That's what we're told to be captivated by. And if we are not captivated by that, then we are in trouble. You know how the psalmist would say over and over, God, your beauty amazes me. One thing I long for is to be in the house of the Lord, to gaze on His beauty. Because God is my refuge. That's what it means to be captivated by God's beauty. That's the beauty that we need to long for. That is the key. That is the key to fighting sexual temptation today. Let me pray. 
Our Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you address the issues that we sometimes make us uncomfortable in a public setting, Lord. But you, you've given us your scripture to preach. And we are, we are told to preach all of your counsel, all of your will, Lord. And we are sexual creatures. And we are made, you've made us, God, to worship and to behold beauty. And so let us today, God, be captivated by your grace and your beauty in the man Jesus Christ who gave himself for us on the cross so that we might enjoy a relationship with you and, and pleasures that are indescribable. Lord, draw us closer to you today. If there are people here today, God, who are carrying a load of guilt and who are carrying the weight of sexual sin and who are being crushed by it, who are losing sleep over it, who don't see a way out, God, may you fill them with hope today through your Holy Spirit. May you show them, God, that there is time to turn and to repent and to start on a new path, God, a new relationship with you where you are the center, you are the most beautiful thing in their life so that they might be washed and cleansed and renewed in strength, so that they might be strengthened by your grace and say no to forbidden beauty in this world. God, we pray that you would be with us as we go out from here, Lord, that, and that you would give us the, uh, the strength we need, God. And the, help us to see the beauty in our spouses as well. Help us to see the beauty of this covenant that you've called us into as married couples in this church and to embrace it with passion and to not hold back. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.